Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Let's go to Matthew 16. We want to begin a new series today, and uh, we're going to move on this uh, throughout the first of the year. And uh, believing uh, we're going to go as far as God wants us to go. I'm seeing at least 10, 12 weeks on this. And uh, I'm, I've entitled it My Church. My Church. No, when I say my church, I don't mean my church. I mean, Jesus said in the book of Matthew, we'll read it in Matthew 16. He said, on this rock, I will build my church. Uh, One of the most outstanding characteristics of the church is that Jesus called it His. He said, this is my church. On this rock, I will build my church. Let's read that, Matthew 16 and uh, verse 18. Jesus, it's interesting, Jesus had taken uh, His disciples, and you can look here in Matthew 16, verse 13, it says, He came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. And he he was there, and he began to uh, talk with his disciples. And it's interesting that Jesus at this place, he had his disciples in a place that was known for the occultic activity in that area. All right, he was at a place uh, where it uh, the the worship of the Greek god Pan, P-A-N, was was very prevalent. And Pan is the god of debauchery and drunkenness. All right. And Jesus was in this setting, and it's in this setting that Jesus looks at his disciples, and he asks them, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And the disciples said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, some say that you're Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And notice what Jesus said, okay, but who do you say I am? Right? And the Bible says that Peter... Simon Peter, that he opened up his mouth and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And notice what Jesus said. He said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you. All right? So now notice, this is important. Somebody did not tell you this. This is not something you heard from your favorite preacher. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. And on this rock, what rock? This rock of revealed knowledge of who I am, I will build my church. Do you see this? And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Understand that Jesus came into the earth and lived and died and rose again to establish the church. To establish the church. Now, people will say, well, he came to to cleanse us from our sin. He did. All of those things. But 
the establishment of the church was included in that. Now, here's something that you have to see. The church was a mystery to those that Jesus was speaking to. The church was a mystery to every Old Testament writer. When you read through the prophets, you read through the Old Testament, and you should. We love the Old Testament. But you read through the Old Testament. You see them prophesying about a coming Redeemer. You see them prophesying about redemption. You see them prophesying about the Gentiles being brought into the covenant. You do not see any prophecies about the church. They didn't understand it. They they didn't have a comprehension of it. Because the church was a vehicle that Jesus had to establish through his death, burial, and resurrection. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It was a mystery. They, they saw, these men saw themselves as Jesus' disciples. They saw him as followers of Christ, but not as his church. Not as his church, not as his body. They didn't see him, they didn't see it that way. They saw themselves as followers. They saw themselves as disciples, but not the church. And notice what Jesus says. He says, upon this rock, I will build my church. That is not an ecclesiastical term, church. It's not an ecclesiastical term. It's a legislative term. It means those that have been called out to govern. Now, don't misunderstand. There's people that's preaching a false doctrine, talking about how the church is going to take over all the government, and we're going to perfect the earth and bring Jesus back. That's not in the Bible. That's false doctrine. But, but, and I'm saying that as nice as I can. But here's the point. He says that you have been called to govern. Gates throughout the scripture represent authority. All right? He said the gates of hell. The, the word, when you read different translations, it says the powers of death. The ability of death. It represents authority. Remember Hebrews 2.14? It says that before Jesus died and took the keys of death, hell, and grave, uh, of the grave, that everyone was ruled by the fear of death. Death reigned. Right? And he says, here's the issue. I will build my church upon this rock of revealed knowledge of who I am, and the authority of death will no longer rule over you. It said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the what? The church. Isn't it interesting, in the season that we live in, you hear a lot of preachers talking about the power of the devil, how everything's going wrong. You hear hear a lot of preachers talking about the church is weak, the church is this, the church is that. I've got a real good word for that. That's baloney. The devil has never had a foot up on the church. The devil has never been able to defeat the church. There's nothing wrong with the church. Oh, that was, that was poor. That was weak. There's nothing wrong with the church. People say, well, the church is weak. What church do you go to? What church are you a part of? Are you telling me that the church that's called the body of Christ is weak? You're telling me that the body of Christ is weak? You're telling me that the church that Jesus founded on the rock of revealed knowledge is not up to the task that we are facing? You would be wrong. Because Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. 
Yeah, but there's a lot of false doctrine. No, church aren't preaching anything anymore. What, again, what church do you go to? Who are you involved with? I know, I, I know so many churches that are preaching more knowledge now than they ever have before and seeing greater things of God than they ever have before. I can't, I can't even count them all using my fingers, my toes, my nose, my eyes, every part of my body. I, I, can't, I can't count them all. Amen. Because the church is not only alive, we are well. Oh, I'm helping you. And he said, the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. Hallelujah. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to do a good introduction this morning, and we'll go back and fill in blanks and do a lot over the coming weeks. This is important. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. Clean tongues. God leaves nothing to chance. Clean tongues, cloven tongues, like a cloven hoof. Cloven hoofed animals are clean animals. All right? These are, these are tongues. He's dealing with Jewish believers in the upper room. He, he puts cloven tongues over them. Amen. And he says, cloven tongues of fire. It set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, this is the birth of the church. The birth of the body of Christ. But here's what you have to understand. In order for there to be a birth, there has to be a gestation period. There has to be a period leading up to that birth. You don't just show up one day and say, I'm pregnant, and tomorrow I'm going to have a baby. Right? There was a gestation period. In this case, three and a half years. He was... He was talking the word to them now the, the, the whole period wasn't that long but I want to show you from the book of John John chapter 20 oh glory I am excited about this series I, I think this is going to be put in the we're going to have a revised copy of local church hope of the world and I think we're going to add this to it We'll see. Amen. But John 20, verse 19. Then the same day at evening. Now remember, this is the same day of the resurrection. Jesus appeared to the disciples the day he resurrected. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, the doors were shut. The disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. And Jesus stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed them his hands, his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, this is when the disciples were born again. This is when they received the life of God into their spirits. All right? 
Remember that Jesus' ministry, his whole ministry, three and a half years, was to unsave people. Jesus left the earth having had 12 people saved, or 11 actually saved in his ministry. And nobody filled with the Holy Ghost. Now people say, why, why does that matter? Because, because notice, Jesus, it, it wasn't about amassing the largest group of people that he could get to get a hold of this. It was getting a group that would believe who he was and be willing to be the genesis of the church. Mm. So there had to be a gestation period. Look at Luke 24. Hallelujah. We've got a lot of scripture. But uh, if you go to a church and they don't have a lot of scripture, I'd leave. Because <clears throat> it's what the word says. You say, why do you say that to us? Because we got a lot of scripture. No need for you to leave. Ain't just hang on. <laughs> Come on in and hang on. Amen. <laughs> Uh, the other night, DJ saw James come in. DJ jumped out of his chair and said, come on in. Amen. Because, <laughs> you know, that's how James sits on his chair. James sits like this. He, he's, in, he's in the track, ready to go. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, Luke 24, verse 44. This is the same account. This is the same account that we read in John, only Luke's version. And he said unto them, these are the words that I spake to you while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, in the prophets, in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said, thus it is written, and it behooved Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Now they're describing the same event, but with a different emphasis. John emphasizes, and his emphasis is on the breath of the Holy Spirit bringing life. He breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. They were born again. Luke emphasizes his instruction in the Scripture, which brought faith and produced faith in the disciples. Faith comes by hearing. He's, he's teaching them. He's saying who he is, what was prophesied about him. What happens? Faith is coming in their heart. Oh, hallelujah. Now, they're ready to be empowered. They have received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and they've received the seed of the Word of God. You have to have the Word and the Spirit. All right? They were like the unborn child in its mother's womb. It's real, it's alive, yet it's not released into the world yet. It's there, it's a child, it's real, it's alive. It's just not been released yet. And just like God formed Adam's body from the dust of the ground, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, and God formed man from the dust of the ground, and that God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. All right? That word breath in, 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 in the Hebrew is ruach. It's the breath of God. 
All right? God formed Adam's body in the garden, but the body was lifeless until the breath of God came into it. The body of Christ had been formed here with the disciples, but it was still a lifeless body until the life of God came into it. And even though it was formed and ready to go, it needed the life of God. The life of God showed up when Jesus breathed into them. Hallelujah. The church was formed the breath of the Holy Spirit was placed in them, and they were birthed on the day of Pentecost. Amen. The church was a mystery throughout the whole Old Testament. The church was a mystery. They, they, they had no comprehension of the church. And, and a misunderstanding of this leads people over into error. That's why you have people teaching that the church is going to go through the tribulation. And the church is going to go through that period of time because they read an Old Testament scripture. They read from the book of Daniel that the son of perdition, the Antichrist, will make war with the saints and he will overcome some of them. Well, that, that's not us, the saints. That's the saints that are born again during the tribulation period. But if you think that's the church, then you, you make a mistake because it contradicts Paul's writings. Paul said that the church is the withholding force on the earth that the Antichrist cannot even show up until the church is raptured. Amen. People say, I've had people say, well, that word rapture is not even in the Bible. Well, of course not. Rapture is a Latin word. It's the word rapture. Amen. It comes from a Greek word called harpezo. That means to take violently, to snatch up to another place. Amen. That the church is snatched up. The church is taken to another place. When? Before the tribulation period. Hallelujah. Now you, you say, why is that important? Because people will read through the Old Testament and try to show you the church. You can't. Because they didn't prophesy about the church. They prophesied about redemption. And I know this because Paul called the church a mystery. He said the mystery of the church had to be revealed to him. And he said that the mystery of the church was revealed to him when he was caught up to the third heaven. And the mystery of the church was revealed to him. Why was the mystery of the church revealed to Paul and not to Jeremiah? Because Jeremiah was called to prophesy and speak to the house of Israel and Paul was anointed and called to speak to us, the New Testament church. Glory to God. Amen. Am I helping you? They prophesied about us being brought into the Abrahamic covenant, but not the church. The church was birthed as a New Testament entity unlike anything the world's ever seen before. You've you got to understand that. Sometimes when we think church, we think denomination. The church is unlike anything the world has ever seen. The world knows no other unstoppable force except the church. I didn't say religion. I said the church. The church is unstoppable. Amen. Tell your neighbor, say the church is unstoppable. Oh, hallelujah. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 32. I want to show you something. We'll get into this. Give none offense neither to the Jews, to the Gentiles, 
nor to the church of God. Three different people groups. The Jews, the Gentiles, the church. Three different groups. We could say the Jews, the Gentiles, the redeemed. But here's the thing to see. Three different groups, and God deals with each of them differently. Hallelujah. Now, they all have to receive Jesus. But God deals with all of them differently. Let, let, and, and, and like I say, we're going to hit a lot of things. We'll come back and fill in some blanks. But for instance, Matthew 24. People read Matthew 24 and try to apply all of Matthew 24 to the church. You can't because he wasn't talking to the church. He was talking to the Jews. Well, how do you know that? Well, what did he say? He said, when you see all these things coming, all these problems in the world, he said, they that endure to the end shall be saved. And I've heard preachers get up and preach that all you got to do is endure, just endure to the end. And the Bible says, right? But the Bible says where the church is concerned that you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and you'll be saved. He was talking to the Jewish people that were going to see the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And he said, if you endure through all this, you'll be saved. Hallelujah. They read in Luke and, it's, and, 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 and they build a doctrine off of it. Well, you know, the Bible says, the Bible says, you know, that uh, uh, we'll go through the tribulation and, you know, uh, that that what we have to do, you know, we have to be watching and we have to be faithful and we're going to get through it. He wasn't talking to us. Are you in Judea? He said, when you see all these things come, let him that's in Judea flee to the desert. Let him that's on the rooftop come down. Right? My point is, is, is to say this. People interpret that in the light of he's talking to the church. He's not talking to the church. Mm, hallelujah. He deals with these people groups differently. The Jews, the Gentiles, and the church. The Jews are God's covenant people according to what? Election. God elected them. They are God's people. The church has not replaced the Jew. We never will replace the Jewish nation. God elected them by election. He chose them. God, God initiated the relationship with Abraham. Is that right? So he's his, their, he, they are his people by election. God elected them. The Gentiles are the nations. The Gentiles are those outside the covenant, outside the kingdom. Sinners. The church is God's covenant people brought into the covenant through the avenue of grace by faith. We chose. He sent the word to us and we chose to believe it. And the Bible says that we were grafted in. Now notice what it says. But what does it say we were grafted into? The olive tree. Why were we grafted into the olive tree and not the fig tree? Because the fig tree doesn't have any oil. The olive tree is full of the anointing and full of the oil of God. We were grafted in and became part of, of God's family. Amen. Hallelujah. Do, do, do you see that? 
Hallelujah. <laughs> Israel, by and large, is walking in darkness where Christ and the church is concerned. And you can read that in, in, in the book of Romans, chapter 10. It says that Israel is in darkness. Well, why are they in darkness? The Bible says the spirit of slumbers come upon them. Why did the spirit of slumber come upon them? They rejected Christ. But yet it says in Romans 10, all Israel shall be saved. Because the Bible says all that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah. When you read through the book of Revelation, you see the tribulation period. You see a large, a large, a large, a large part of that is talking about the nation of Israel. What, what's the purpose of tribulation? People will say, oh, to, to perfect. To, no, if, if that was the purpose of tribulation, what you're saying is that God's not able to perfect His people. What's the purpose of tribulation? To bring that person to a place of repentance. The whole seven years of tribulation, the last three and a half years being the worst, the whole purpose is to get people to change their mind. You understand that? To get people to change their mind. God starts the vehicle He's dealing with the world with now is the church. We're the church, right? We're going into all the world and preaching the gospel to every person. Is that right? We're the vehicle right now. But the day will come when the church will be raptured. That, 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 right? Romans 10 says that this blindness will continue until the end of the church age. There will come an end to the church age. We'll be raptured. Glory to God. We used to call in church that great getting up morning. Amen. We'll, we'll be raptured out of here. And then what will happen? The very next thing you see is that God calls and anoints 144,000 Jewish, Jewish 12,000 men from all the 12 tribes of Israel. God calls 144,000 Jewish evangelists to evangelize the world. Born again Jewish evangelists. Full of the Holy Ghost and with power. Amen. Hallelujah. And the Bible said, records in the book of Revelation that their ministry will come to an end. And they'll be raptured. And they'll stand with Christ on the Mount of Olives. But then it says after the 144,000 are raptured, that then angels begin to fly through the atmosphere proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why, why would God go to those lengths? To get people saved. Amen. That's why the church is not an entertainment venue. That's why, that's why the church is not just a place for us to have games and us to have entertainment. We are the vehicle that's changing the world. We are the vehicle that God has ordained to make a difference in the lives of men and women. Oh, hallelujah. So that blindness will continue until the end of the church age, until the church departs. And the reason for that is the church is the vehicle that God's using to reach the world. And he deals with each of these people groups differently, in a different manner. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, a very simple uh, 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 illustration of that is, you know, the Gentile. The Gentile has to come to Christ 
And to be forgiven, they have to believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is saved, is, is, is Lord, and they will be saved. But the Bible says where the believer's concerned that if we miss the mark and we sin, that we confess it and he forgives it. I never have to again confess that Jesus is my Lord. I did that once. Now, it's good to do it all the time. But you understand what I mean? He, he deals with the people differently. And, and that, oh, Lord, help me with this. And that's, and that's why when you start believing things and you start believe, bringing uh, Jewish ideology over into the church, you're doing something Paul never did. Well, it's the, it's the Feast of Tabernacles, so we want to have a week for the Feast of Tabernacles. That, that's not New Testament. There's no power in that. Jesus fulfilled that. The Feast of Tabernacles was a feast that celebrated the, the, the release of Jewish men and women out of the bondage of Egypt. They were baptized in the Red Sea and come out on the other side, free men and women. It's a picture of us being delivered from sin, going into the waters of baptism and coming up on the other side totally free from the bondage. Nowhere in the New Testament, nowhere in the epistles do you see Paul saying, celebrate tabernacles, celebrate the feast of Passover, celebrate first fruits. Now, if you want to do it, that's fine. But it's just, it's just a ritual. Paul said it was a type and a shadow and not the real thing. Yeah, but there's so much revelation in there. Revelation of what Christ did for you. But Christ did it. The one thing that we're told to celebrate all the time is the body and the blood of Jesus. This do in remembrance of me. Now, if you want to do it, that's up to you. You do whatever you want to do. I don't have to put any blood on the doorpost of my house. It's on my heart. I am His. My house is sanctified because I'm in it. Not because there's blood on the doorpost. You see what I'm saying? And again, there's nothing. if you want to do it, please, go right ahead. If it's a season of Passover and you feel like doing it, paint it red, purple, green, whatever you want to do. But the point is, there's no power in you putting something red over your doorpost. The power is in what's been done on the inside of you. The Old Testament focused on the outward. The New Testament focuses on the inward. You are, the, you are the church, the called out ones, the ecclesia. You are those called to govern on the inside. You have been brought into the church of the living God, the assembly of the firstborn. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. Do, do you see this? this? This is so important. Because when you try to deal with the New Testament entity of the church, through Old Testament channels, you're going to miss something. The shadow is only there because there's something real. What does that mean? The shadow is not real. Just a shadow. All the feasts have been fulfilled. 
They've been fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled them. They were a picture to bring Israel to Christ. <laughs> right? Amen. You know, you might carry a picture. We got, a phone. we got our phones now. We don't have to carry it in our wallet much anymore. But, you know, you carry a picture around of, of your spouse or a picture of the person that you're in love with, right, or whatever. Well, how, how silly, how silly would it be for me to walk into my house and, and uh, you know, I got some of y'all sitting there uh, with my wife. And I walk in and I say, oh, how y'all doing? And I, and I go in, in the back room and I come out with a picture of my wife. Talking about how much I love my wife. And I'm kissing the picture. Oh, I love my wife. Oh, this means so much. Oh, I love my wife. You're going to think this man is a fool. His wife is sitting right here and he's kissing a picture. The fulfillment is in our... Remember what Jesus said? He said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. He said, I am anointed to preach the gospel, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And it says he closed the book and sat down and said, this day, this day, today is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And they didn't get it. When you celebrate things that are shadows, you're saying there's more power in the shadow than there is in the substance. And you cannot find throughout the entire epistles one place where Paul said to celebrate feast. Now, I'm not against it. I'm, I'm not being ugly. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm saying, but we're the church or we're not. The church is founded upon the rock of the revealed knowledge of who Christ is. Amen. Yeah, but pastor, I like to do that. Well, you, baby, you do what you like. You do what you like, but just understand it's powerless. Just understand it's a ritual. It might be something religious, but it's not powerful. Hmm. Moving right along. Ha, ha, ha. Ephesians 3. Because I'm telling you something. When sickness tries to get a hold of your body, you need to know more than a feast day. When the devil's trying to destroy your family, you need to know something more than a shadow. You need to have some substance. There's something you got to be able to grab a hold of. Amen. You, you see what I'm saying? you you got to be able to grab a hold of something that's going to make a change in that circumstance. Amen. Ephesians 3 and uh, verse uh, 2 and 3. If you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God that was given to me to you, toward you, how that by revelation, notice this, by revelation, he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. One translation says, it was by direct revelation that the hidden purposes of God were made known unto me. The Phillips translation says, he allowed me to understand his secret by giving me a direct revelation. So Paul was caught up to the third heaven and given direct revelation from Jesus. 
Now, why did Jesus have to give it to him? Nobody else knew it. Remember what he said? He said in Galatians, he said, uh, 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 it was explaining his conversion. And then he said that, that uh, uh, he went uh, to Jerusalem one time and saw the brethren. Then it said he went to Arabia for a number of years. And then it says he came back to Jerusalem. But he said, I saw this person and this person and this person. I didn't talk to anybody else. In other words, he was explaining to the Galatians, I received this revelation from Jesus, not from a person. Hallelujah. Much of this revelation had to do with the supernatural vehicle called the church. Look at verse 5. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Notice, as it is now, during the time Paul was writing, it's revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. Now, we don't despise any prophecy. We thank God for the messianic prophecies and, and the Old Testament. They were accurate. But we're dealing with the church. They didn't prophesy about the church. He said, now it's being revealed. Now it's being revealed. It wasn't made known to former generations. They didn't prophesy concerning the church. They had no knowledge of the church. Look at verse 8. Unto me and who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world was hidden God who created all things by Jesus Christ. Notice, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. One translation says, should now see the compl complex wisdom of God's plan worked out through the church. So God's plan is contained in the church. And he says the world will see this. But notice he says the, the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Hallelujah. See, this is what bothers me when people talk about the devil messing things up. He's always behind. That's okay. We should laugh at him. It's, it's always, he's always behind. But you who preachers get up and, and preach great motivating sermons about how much the devil's messing up. He's not messing anything up in my life. That's a good place for you to just look at your neighbor and say, me either. Because, because think, think about this. Think about this. Christ was a mystery. To the devil. God prophesied in the book of Genesis. He said the, the seed of the woman. Will bruise your heel. And you'll crush his head. God doesn't say something. That's not already done. Well I don't see it yet. Just because you don't see it. Doesn't mean it's not done. If something's done in God's mind. Is it done? Done. He wasn't playing catch up with the devil. Oh man, Adam sinned. Didn't see that one coming. I better do something. 
right? God didn't let Adam sin and then have a, 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 a conference with everybody and say, now what are we going to do? There's a reason the Bible says that Christ was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. There was never a time that redemption was not in place. All through the Old Testament you see shadows of redemption. The blood of bulls and goats. The blood on the doorpost. The blood on the altar. But the Bible says that was atonement. That was a stopgap. That was something until the real should show up. Glory to God. God was never behind. And He's not behind now. It's, it is, oh Lord help me say this. Let me say it this way. It is sacrilegious to go to God and say, why'd you allow this? Who are you to go to God and say, why'd you do that? Why'd you let that happen? God doesn't mind questions, but he's God. But he's God. Is that right? He's not behind. He's not going to leave you where you're at. He's already got a plan. And that plan, according to Ephesians chapter 2, was in place before you ever graced this people planet. When you were still a twinkle in the eye of your mother and your father, God had already prearranged your life. And it did not include destruction and defeat and death and dying and failure. That's why the quicker you can discover the plan, hallelujah, the more of that you can avoid. Am I helping you? And the Bible says that Jesus and the death of Jesus was a mystery. Ha. Huh. God got the lamb in the earth, and the devil didn't even know it was coming. The devil had to be informed that he had been born. Remember? The Magi informed Herod that the king of the Jews had been born. Hallelujah. And even then he was behind. Because then he tried to destroy him, and he was already gone. The Bible says that, that had the princes of this world known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. Now stop right there. Yes, had they known the redemption that would come through the cross, but had they known the supernatural force that would be unleashed on the world called the church, had they known that was going to happen, they never would have crucified him. Because there was one man on the earth for three and a half years that they had no answer for. I said they have no answer for. They have no answer for. And today in the earth, the largest, the largest amount, the largest sect of religious people are Holy Ghost filled, Bible believing people. He couldn't handle one. What makes you think he can handle a billion? He can't. But if you, if you look at the natural... You'll start, you'll start minimizing the supernatural. Your focus is on whose you are and what you're a part of. Oh, I'm helping you. Yes, 
Hallelujah. So he's, he's always behind. He's behind right now. He's behind right now. There are things that God's doing in your life, and the devil's sitting there scratching his head going, why, how the, why? And it's happening. Your, your loved one was healed right under the devil's nose. Your, your finances turned around right under the devil's nose. Your marriage was put back together right under the devil's nose. He didn't even know what was going on. Because he doesn't have the knowledge and the insight and the comprehension that we have. He can't. Amen. Am I helping you? Whoo. Glory to God. Mm. Hallelujah. Do, do, do you see that? Hallelujah. So when people say, you know, I'm not worried about what the devil's doing. I've had, I've had people say to me before, I've had people say to me before, well, aren't you, aren't you concerned you won't know what's going on? I know exactly what's going on. I know who I'm a part of. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. Ephesians, uh, we read uh, chapter 3 there, verse 8 through 10. One translation says, notice this, that you should now see the complex wisdom of God's plan being worked out through the church. Now, in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1, verse 9, it says, Having made known unto us the mystery of His will, in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself. 26 translation says, For God has allowed us to know the secret of His plan, and it is this. He purposes in His sovereign will that all human history shall be consummated in Christ everything that exists in heaven or earth. Notice, He's allowed us to know the secret of His plan. The church was a secret that God kept from everyone until the time of its inception. The church... It's called a mystery. Throughout the book of Ephesians, that's where Paul explains its amazing purpose. Notice this now. Israel was ordained to be an example nation to display God's goodness to the world. If, if you look at the nation of Israel, the natural nation of Israel, it's on a land bridge. All right? It's the connecting point between east and west. All right? And, and it was a trade route. It was a trade route. And everybody that came through that, that region was to see the goodness of God on Israel and see how good God was and be touched as they went through that nation. Amen. But notice something. The church is not confined to a single nation. Its mission is to every nation. When God called Abraham, he said that the blessing of Abraham would affect the entire world. Genesis 12, 3. In you shall all families of the earth be blessed. That verse finds its fulfillment in the church. Finds its fulfillment in the church. In you will all families of the earth be blessed. Oh, hallelujah. Look at Matthew 15. 
when Jesus was on the earth, when Jesus was on the earth, his ministry, verse 24, Hallelujah. Matthew 15 and verse 24. This is when the Syrophoenician woman came to him and said, uh, and he answered her and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Even the ministry of Christ was limited to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's what he said. The Bible says he came into his own and his own received him not. His own did not receive him. When Jesus sent out the 70 and later sent out the 12, he said, don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go in the way of the Gentiles. Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Amen. Why? Because Paul explains it this way. He says the gospel came to them first. The gospel had to come to them first. Amen. But listen, the sun never sets on the church. You realize that? The sun never sets on the church. There is a church. There are, the, there are members of the church in every nation of the earth. Hallelujah. There are more people alive now than there's ever been in the history of the world. Around about World War I, there was a billion people on the planet. There's 7 billion people on the planet now. There's more people alive now than there's ever been. The church is larger now than it's ever been. We have more easy access to preach the gospel now than we ever have before. And it's getting easier to preach the gospel. Every platform is the gospel being put out. Podcast, live stream, television, services live. Every, every avenue is an avenue to get the gospel out because there's more people now than there's ever been and the church is larger than it's ever been. Jesus in his own ministry never went more than 200 miles from his own hometown. It was limited in scope to that nation and that group of people. But after he was about, when he was about to go into heaven, he looked at the disciples and said, all of authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me now you go into all the world and preach the gospel who's going into all the world the church the church oh hallelujah that is an instruction to the church Matthew 28 we quoted it verse 18 and 19 that's the seedbed of the church If you can take church or leave church, you don't understand church. And you don't understand the church. You have nothing more important ever to do than be in church. Well, you know, I got this going on. Okay. You can list your own priorities and miss out on what God's doing in a supernatural vehicle called the church. Amen. Let me move away from that. <clears throat> look, at, look at Matthew 16 and verse 18. We read it earlier, but we started with it. We'll end with it. And I say unto you that you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the church 
an undefeatable, unstoppable, immovable, a, a supernatural vehicle that's designed to produce God's ultimate plan and purpose in the earth. Cannot be defeated. Cannot be defeated. It cannot be defeated. Cannot be stopped. Cannot be overwhelmed. Hallelujah. 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 I was sitting in a meeting one time, and I, I ministered that night. I ministered on the local church, and I I'd made some of these statements, not the exact statements, but I mentioned how the church was unstoppable and, and could not be defeated. And there was a, a minister there, and we were in the speaker's room after service, and he was talking, and, and uh, the, the pastors that, that had invited us, they were asking me to talk about some more about the church. They enjoyed uh, what we have to say on it. And so I was ministering to their leaders. And this man at the end, and, and he's a minister, and, and I don't have anything against him uh, at all. I really don't know him. I just know what he said. And uh, uh, he made a statement. He, uh, he raised his hand, and somebody, I forget who acknowledged him, and he said, well, he said, I disagree. Okay, you know, I mean, sometimes when people tell you they disagree with you, they look at you like you're going to be mad. Well, you wouldn't be the first person that disagreed with me. I mean, I don't care, right? And he said, I was in a church, and he said, uh, you know, I went in for worship, and he said uh, the very first worship song they had was Michael Jackson's Beat It. And he said, yeah, it was words on the, on the screen and, and the whole song. And I'm just sitting there like it's a, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, so what's your point? And he just kind of paused for effect. And I had an older minister that was there that was sitting over here, and he made the statement that was probably on my mind, and I just didn't say it. He said, well, brother, all that proved is that they're not the church. And he said, yeah, but they were full. And what's that, what's that have to do with anything? Right? I saw a football game the other day, and it's packed out. Nobody got saved. They were entertained, right? They were entertained. They had a good time, but nobody got saved. Nobody got delivered. Nobody's life was changed. It was packed. It was popular. The difference between what the world calls the church and what God calls the church is God's church gets results. Amen. Do you see that? So no, that's not the church. But you can't judge the church. Do you, do you judge a counterfeit $20 bill? Now, now, now understand, do you judge it by a counterfeit? Do you judge a real 20 by a counterfeit? Or do you judge a counterfeit by a 20? You don't spot a counterfeit by studying the counterfeit. You spot it by studying the real thing. You know why there are no counterfeit $3 bills? It's an easy question. There are no real $3 bills. Hallelujah. You judge what you hear and listen to by what the church is. Not by what the current atmosphere may be. 
Do you see this? The real church is a mighty moving force that can't be stopped. Can't be stopped. And the enemy can throw everything he has at it, and we don't even blink. We just keep moving. Hallelujah. I'm glad to be a part of that. I say, I'm glad to be a part of that. You're glad to be a part of that? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And, and I'll say this. I know I've only got a couple minutes. <clears throat> Lord, help me here. We, we, we get into these situations, and we, we've got this, this issue in the church where we got preachers getting up talking about the generation that we're in. And there's something wrong with the generation. If there's something that's wrong with the generation we're in, it's our fault. Let me go back here where they believe me. If, if, if there's something wrong with the generation coming up, it's our fault. Not their fault. Not their fault. They're just doing what they're allowed to do. If you, if you go into a house and a child's running around pulling everything out of the cabinets, don't get mad at the child. There's somebody letting them do it. Amen. We have a responsibility to every generation to show them the power of God, to show them the moving of the Holy Spirit, to show them how the Word works. We have that responsibility. And we don't get that done by dumbing down our services. We don't get it done by just becoming an entertainment venue where we run in and we run out. It takes time for the Holy Spirit to move in somebody's life. It takes time for things to begin to change. We need to be quit worrying about how long we're in church and start being more concerned with how much time is it till we can get back. There are people that will sit through a movie and wouldn't dream of leaving the movie early because they want to see the ending. But they'll come to church and leave early or not show up at all and then wonder why God isn't moving consistently in their life. If you want the supernatural power of the church to operate in your life, you got to care about the church. you got to care about what's going on. you got to be a part of it. You, you understand what I'm saying? Hallelujah. <laughs> when, when you become a part of something, you get involved with that something. When I got married, I had to get involved with that marriage. It's not enough just to have a document that says I'm married. I got to act like a husband. I got to love my wife as Christ loves the church. I got to give myself for her. Is that right? I got to lead my family. I got to submit to God and submit to the Word of God. Hmm. When you come to the local church and you get involved in the local church and you're doing something in the local church, the power of the local church starts flowing through your life. It starts flowing through your spirit. It starts flowing into your home. I'm telling you, because it's a supernatural force that cannot be stopped. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I don't want to do something every time I come to church. Well, why not? 
Maybe you don't have to do something every time you come to church. I'm not just talking about working. I'm talking about showing up and saying, I'm a part of this force that's going to change the world. I am not going to run this generation down. I'm going to be a part of reaching this generation. I'm going to be a part of making a difference. And it's not through my cool clothes or my cool vernacular or the fact that I relate. I relate because I am a born-again believer. And regardless of what you've got going on, Jesus is the answer. The Word will change the circumstance and the Holy Ghost will give you the help. Hallelujah. Do you see that? Glory to God. The answer to every generation is the church. The answer to every generation is the church. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do, 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 do you see that? Hallelujah. Let's stand up today. We don't... Uh, Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, we got to stand up. There, 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 there's got to, I, I have, the Lord, the Lord began to share something with me uh, last year, and it's, it's a very cliche scripture. But uh, I used to, uh, years ago, it's been years ago, some of y'all may have went, I don't know if, if you've been in church that long, but there used to be a group called Promise Keepers. And I would attend these Promise Keepers meetings. And I remember I went to one in Columbia, Missouri, and just filled the uh, Missouri football stadium. Only time the Missouri football stadium is ever full. And uh, I hope nobody likes the Missouri Tigers, but in, in any event, for, for a Christian event. And here's the thing, is you know, uh, uh, Morris Chapman, we sing some of, of his songs. And uh, him and the Maranatha Praise Band, they sang a song called, As for Me and My House, We Will Serve the Lord. And man, that... That just reverberated in my spirit then. And uh, in, in the mornings, maybe, maybe I'm, if, if I'm making breakfast or if I'm doing dinner or, or whatever we're doing, and I'll play that song. Yes, for me and my house, we're going to serve God. See, that, that, that is somebody that says, we're going to do what God tells us to do. Me and my house? We're serving God. We're serving God. Let's bow our heads today, shall we? We're serving God. Part of the call on this ministry is to raise up men of God that are going to be sold out to the things of God. As for me and my house, we're going to serve God. We're making the decision today. We're going to serve God. Now, with your heads bowed, we're going to pray today. With your heads bowed. Hallelujah. We just got to make this commitment. If you're here today, you're a father, you're a grandfather. Maybe you're an uncle. Maybe you have a large influence on your, your nieces, your nephews, whatever it may be. You have boys, you have girls. Especially if you have boys. If you have boys, this is so vital. Girls too. But, but I'm saying in the culture that we live in, If you'd say from your heart of hearts, you say, Pastor, I want to make the decision today that as for me and mine, we're going to serve God. And I'm making this commitment. I'm making this commitment. If you're a young lady in here, and maybe you're a single mother, maybe, maybe you're believing God for a, 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 a spouse. 
And when it comes time to raise your hand, commit. I want you to raise your hand by faith. Because you're raising your hand for the spouse that's coming. And he's going to be the man that will say, as for me and my house, we'll serve God. If you're a single young man, I want you to do it by faith. Because we're, we're the guardians. We're the gatekeepers. We, we decide what happens in our home. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you for the commitment that these are making today. And we ask you in the name of Jesus that you would bring this to our remembrance every day. Every day, every season, Father. In the name of Jesus. Now, if you want to commit, just raise your right hand. Just raise your right hand. Just raise your right hand. And say, Father, in the name of Jesus, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Say, as for me and my house, we will do what God wants. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Now turn to your neighbor and say, I heard you. Hallelujah.